One of the joys for me is every Sunday standing here and looking around and recognizing there's a pretty significant part of our body that I don't know who you are. So welcome. I trust that as you come into the house of the Lord that what you feel is home. Our desire is that you would feel at home here. And uh, my name is Doug DeMint and I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And as you can tell by the banners that are up around uh, the church today, we are launching today and then next Sunday into what we consider to be our missions emphasis. And it's an important part of who we are and what we do. And so I'm just going to ask if you would just take a moment and close your eyes as I ask God to lead us and guide us today. Father, we don't take for granted these moments of time. I recognize that for many of us, what we do on Sunday mornings is we come to church. But we also recognize that you have told us that this is a day that you've made, that we're to rejoice and be glad in it. You've told us, Lord, that your strength would be with us for today. You've also indicated that there are aspects of our life with you that you desire to challenge us in through your word. So, Lord, what I ask today is that every hearer whether they are in a relationship with you yet or not, that we would be tuned in to what the Spirit of the Lord would say as we measure our life and our faithfulness and our service compared to your desires for us. And so, Lord, as we launch into this today, I pray that you would speak to us through your word and challenge us and that in that moment of decision, we would walk in obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. J. Oswald Smith said, What right has any man to hear the gospel twice until everybody has heard it once? Let me repeat that. What right has any man to hear the gospel twice until every man has heard it once? For those of you that may not know me, I'm a missionary's kid. My mom and dad spent a number of years in East Africa, and then they spent time in Europe. And so my whole life has been encapsulated in, in ministry and mission and understanding that sometimes we can get locked into a bubble of what God is doing here locally and not know what God is doing worldwide around us. And I want you to know something. We have a God that said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as we kick off this mission's emphasis, I want to remind you who may not have been around here very long that missions is not a program that we do in this church. It's not just something we add on. Missions is the very purpose of who we are, and it's in the DNA of everything we do. In missions, the church is called to face the challenges of contemporary times with courage and to understand the times and to know what to do and to commit wholeheartedly to exalting Christ the King and the establishment of His kingdom, not just locally, but globally as well. In fact, right up here in our vision statement, where everybody can see it, it says, locally to globally, pursuing every heart with the love of Jesus. I want you to understand that what is within that is that everybody deserves to have met Jesus. Whether they live in Syracuse or whether they live across the globe. Interesting enough that in my personal devotion times, I've been spending a lot of time in Acts lately. And in Acts chapter 20, there is something that I have reread a number of times. How many of you know that depending on what you're going through in life, you can read a very familiar passage and it will explode to you in a brand new way? 
As I was reading this in, in Acts chapter 20, there were some things that I saw that were brand new. And so I invite you, if you have your Bibles or your electronic Bible, if you would take that and turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. I want to re read verses 38 through the very first verse of chapter 21. It says that when he had said all this, he, he being Paul, knelt down with all of them and he prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea, it says. There was a period of time in my ministry when I was working in the district office that I traveled an awful lot, and on some of those occasions, I would have to call a, a cab to take me to the airport. And when I would get to the airport, there would be a drop-off zone, and he would stop there, and I would open the door, grab my luggage, and run in, and that was the extent of the goodbye from the cab drivers. Listen, I got you here. You're safe. Just pay the toll, and, and I'm on my way. There were other times, however, when I got to the airports, and I would see a different scene. Because my son-in-law is in the military, I'm familiar with what that looks like when military families are about to say goodbye to those that they love, knowing that they may not see them for months or years. And when they are heading off, you see families, they don't just drop them off at the curb. They park. They're, they're walking in with them. They go all the way through security until they're stopped. And then they stand there in the line and they're waving and they're kissing. And the person who's walking off is turning around looking back. And, and you hear a lot of these, I love you, as the people are beginning to depart. You see, the first one drops you off in a drop-off zone. The others stay a while. The first one can't wait for the person to leave so they can go get another fare. The others are grieved that they or she must go. The first one is dropping somebody off out of duty, but the other is out of love. And the difference in these scenes is the result of a different relationship and commitment to one another. Paul finds himself in this particular chapter of Acts chapter 20 with the elders of the church at Ephesus, which he had pioneered. He planted it. He had worked with these people for three years. He greatly loved them, and they likewise loved him. And so when God was beginning to call him to another field, he began to talk to them and, and indicated earlier in the chapter that I'm going to be leaving you, and we are never going to see each other again. And they begin to grieve because they know that his departure is going to be painful. This would not be a drop-off zone goodbye. For the Ephesian church and Paul, these leaders were going to go all the way with him because they were committed with him. We read in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, when it says this, Therefore go and make disciples of, and then there's this word, all nations. We live in a world today where we think some nations are unreachable. We live in a world today where we think some places are more difficult, so, Lord, I'm not sure we're going to get to those, but the command is that we would lead all nations to become disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then he says, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By definition... The Great Commission moves us to destinations in prayer. 
to moves us to destinations in giving and moves us in destinations to go. And our church's attitude, Grace Assembly of God's church's attitude toward missions is reflected in the fact that we don't want one single place in the world to not have the fingerprints of our church upon it by the way that we pray and the way that we give and the way that we can go. And there's an attitude check of a church that can be found in a few verses that I read, and it says this, Then they accompanied him to the ship. For those of you that may be taking notes, the first point is a four-letter word, simply they. What does they mean? Well, they is an important word in the New Testament. In fact, it's even more important in the book of Acts. Because as you look through Acts, you'll recognize this. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, They were all together. Acts 2.4 says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves. In Acts 13.3, it says, they placed their hands on them and sent them all. In other words, they, the church, everybody that was there was all involved in the departure. They all prayed. They all knelt. They all grieved. They all felt they all embraced him. They all acted. It means everybody in this church was involved in the mission that Paul was about to embark on. So missions must not just be a program in the church that just a few of you participate in. It rather must be the heartbeat of the work of God within us. We just sang beautiful songs. Some of you are talking about Jesus be the center of my life. Jesus be the center of my church. And within that, there's this commitment that each of you make that you would surrender everything about your life and who you are to the will of the Father who sent his Son to save you. And so in the middle of this sense of surrender, God begins to speak to his church and says, you are all these within the church to be involved in what he wants to do. Missions allows a church to see outside of itself that when just a few people are involved, the church has a nearsightedness. But missions requires church leaders to have a vision for reaching beyond its borders to be sure that all are involved. I discovered a long, long time ago, churches that are involved in missions, churches that have missions and loving the lost at its DNA level are churches that are growing. Because when you reach out for those outside the walls and you, again, sang about it today that others matter to you, when that begins to take place, there is a life in the church that others are drawn to. So the question we ask ourselves today is this. Is the congregation of Grace Assembly going to be a they, that we are all involved in the mission, or are there just going to be a few that will be at that level? The next word within that particular verse was accompany. Within this particular passage of Scripture, accompany is a very unique word because it carries with it the idea of sending. It also carries with it the idea of going together with and the idea of sending with provision and the idea of partnership. Honestly, when I was reading this, the first thing I thought of is college students are getting ready to go uh, to school for the first time and as they're leaving, mom and dad say, listen, go get anything you want out of the pantry. And they rob you of everything. 
They take all the groceries with them because you are sending them in partnership and you want them to be well provided for. And whenever they come home, not only do they do their laundry, they rob you again. But it's this image of, of partnering with. They accompanied them to, to the shores with Paul to make sure that they would carry the provisions to the ship, that they would model missions as not a drop-off zone, but rather a sending of a loved one. So let me share with you a story of what's taking place because we have accompanied others in our church and mission. There's a young lady that was born in Afghanistan. She wore a burqa at the age of five. She read a Koran at the age of nine and had memorized the Koran by the age of 13. She went to an Islamic fundamentalist school for women and at the age of 17 became an evangelist for Islam and joined the religious police for that country. As she grew into a young adult, she became so dissatisfied with life because no matter what she did, she could not seem to get close to God. That she finally decided life is not worth living and I'm going to commit suicide. At the same time, her mother was diagnosed with MS and it had progressed so rapidly that her mom had lost control of her legs and could only be moved in a wheelchair. Her eyes began to grow droopy. She lost control of her mouth and she began to drool. And with the condition of her mother and with the deep emptiness that was within her own soul and her lack of being able to connect with God and everything that she had done, she decided that she was going to kill herself. But her mother and her family found out and stopped her. She told them, listen, if you won't let me commit suicide in the freedom of my own house, then I'm going to go out and publicly do this in the streets. So she was fighting with her family, and she tells her mother, look, mom, you are dying, and I no longer want to live, so let's commit suicide together. Let's make this pact. So they did. She and her mother had decided that a week from now, we're going to kick everybody out of the house, we're going to turn on the gas, we're going to take pills, and we will end our lives together because of the conditions that we find ourselves in. Just before they do that, on that particular Friday night, they decided that for one last time they would turn on a program. The program was sponsored by people that we have partnered with. And the speaker started with these words. My brothers and sisters, why do you want to kill yourself tonight? Jesus wants to change your life. So this girl, with great anger, said, I'm going to call these infidels and I'm going to prove to them that Jesus is dead and then I'm going to kill myself so that I can be the first person to stand in front of our Lord and say, I was perfect in the law. And so she called the number. And as the phone was ringing, her mother reached over and said, let me talk to them first, and took the phone from her. And after 20 minutes of speaking to the individual on the phone, her mother gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And this young lady was absolutely furious. She said, how dare you blaspheme Muhammad? How dare you do this on the night that we were to commit suicide together? Mom, you have ruined everything. And her mom starts crying and said, please talk to the pastor. She says, no, I will not talk to him. And the mother said, as my last wish, 
I'm asking that you would talk to the pastor. Now, in that culture, there's a culture of honor and shame associated with not obeying. And so she said, I felt compelled to talk to this person. And she had a conversation that lasted two hours that night with the pastor. After two hours, the pastor was not able to convince her to come to Christ. So he said to her, look, you have served Allah your entire life. And the fruit of the devotion that you have given to Allah is that you are depressed, you are despondent, you are lifeless, you are hopeless, and you are suicidal. Your mom has MS and she is dying. Give Jesus one week. If he doesn't do anything, then you go ahead and you kill yourself. So she accepted the challenge. And she told him, Next week, at this very moment, I am going to kill myself with a gun to prove to you that Jesus is dead. And she hung up the phone. At 5 o'clock the next morning, she was awakened by the screams of her mother. She thought that MS had reached her mother's lungs and that the end was near, so she ran out of her room and ran to where her mother was, and what she found was her mother standing in the house, walking around, jumping and shouting and celebrating. She runs into a room and she sees her mom in perfect condition, no more droopiness in her eyes, being able to walk and speak. And so the girl instantly says, Mom, this can't happen. I'm taking you to the hospital. <laughs> the doctor's there. She forced them to run diagnostics on her mom, to run blood tests and an MRI. And at the end of it all, later that morning, they came back and concluded there is no more MS in your mother's body. They asked the girl, did your mom pray to do who did she pray for and who did she pray to and the girl didn't know what to say and so she just stood there and she goes we didn't do anything except pray to Jesus and immediately five people that were standing around them at the hospital gave their hearts to Jesus so the next week she calls the pastor and she said I was the girl who wanted to embarrass Jesus but Jesus has embarrassed me and now I brought five people to Christ. What am I supposed to do with them? <laughs> One year later, this young woman had led 250 people to Jesus. She was in charge of 25 house churches in five cities. She at that time was leading the biggest movement in her country as a woman in a Muslim country. This is happening all over the world because we are accompanying those who are called to go, those who are producing digital media to reach into countries where we may not be able to go physically, but we are reaching into them and touching the lives of young people who know how to work these things and are hearing these things. And God, in his amazing timing, at just the moment two people were going to commit suicide, comes through with the words of, why do you want to kill yourself tonight? Tell me the Spirit of the God is not moving across this world. Accompanying means that they were with Paul not only in the task, but they were with him in relationship. Accompanying means that they helped provide for Paul on the needs of his journey. Accompanying means that they sustained him, not just for the journey, but while he was doing the work. And let me tell you something. Grace is simply accompanying our missionaries means for us that we give to BGMC so that our kids, while they're riding ponies, can raise money. 
so that they can touch the lives and help our missionaries out. It means that Speed the Light is providing vehicles and equipment for our missionaries. It means that we as a church fund projects that are taking place around the world. And it means that each of us budget into our lives enough that we can support missions on a monthly basis so that we can send them. And that is what it means for us to accompany them. Let me share with you a little bit more about what's happening in some of these persecuted areas. Cindy and I listened to a podcast the other night that we were given a code that we could get into, and the voices of those on this podcast were digitally altered so that nobody could recognize their voice, and they had been given in secret so that nothing could be traced back. One of the believers that was being interviewed was asked why persecution seems to be growing the church in their country but persecution seems to be hindering the church from growing in America. And they said, because there's a difference between being a convert and being a disciple. A convert will run from persecution, but a disciple will die for Christ if need be. When we declare that we will be a follower of Jesus Christ, we do so in our country knowing that the cost of that decision will be the loss of everything and probably our life. And we have counted the salvation of the Lord Jesus as more valuable than life on this earth. And God in that moment seals us, and then he empowers us with the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that we can accomplish his will in our life regardless of the circumstances of our country or the world or those that hate Jesus. We understand that we may be living through hell on earth, but we're going to end up in heaven. While in many other areas, people are living heaven on earth, but they're going to go to hell. Some of those that have escaped from Afghanistan and some of these other countries that have made it to America are already reporting that they have noticed a difference when they got here because they said there seems to be a spirit of slumber on the American church. And they said the more we pray about it, it seems as if the lullaby gets louder and louder, as if the church in America has isolated itself from what's going on around the world. And I want you to know something. We will not fall asleep in this church as it relates to what God is doing. Currently in Afghanistan, 20 years of building infrastructure has been decimated in a moment of time. The enemies of Christ have a hit list of believers that they're going after. And many believers are running for the hills with just the clothes on their back. Every house that has a girl or a woman on it, in it has to put an X on their house. And if they don't put an X, they will find, and they find that there's a woman living there, they will kill everybody in that household. So the Taliban is taking every girl under the age of 15 for their prize and treasure. Any woman under the age of 25 that they found, if she's married, they will kill their, her husband and they will take the women and they will sell them into sex slavery to fund their movement. And in the middle of the chaos, Afghanistan is reportedly right now the second fastest growing church in the world. You see, the strategy for missions in the Assemblies of God is this. We partner with missionaries and we send them. They go to lands that 
They are called to, and they invest in the lives of those people who are living there so that when they rise up in situations like this, our leadership may have had to flee, but there are believers there that have been trained and discipled. Then they're watching the church grow through their very effort because we have accompanied them and provided for them. One of these national leaders is a young man and his wife that are expecting their first child. And yet in the middle of the chaos, they found a place where there was an internet connection and they asked our leadership if they could have a Zoom meeting with them. And the leader that was speaking with them saying, are you kidding me? Right now you want to have a Zoom meeting? They said, where are you and are you safe? And this young couple said, it doesn't matter where we are and it doesn't matter if we're safe. We need some counsel about how we can move the kingdom forward in the middle of everything that's going on right now. You see, these are giants in the faith. And we have it so easy. Next week, all I'm going to ask you to do is try to determine what it is that you're willing to invest on a monthly basis in mission so that we can continue to partner with more. I've never yet been threatened with my life for my cause of loving Jesus Christ. And some of them are running for their lives. And as they are running, their thoughts are, how can we spread the love of Jesus everywhere we go? And they said, don't worry for me and my wife because we belong to Christ. If something happens to us today, we'll see you tomorrow because this isn't goodbye, it's just farewell. These believers have such boldness and courage, it's difficult for us to understand it. So when the whole nation of Afghanistan turned upside down, we saw in a matter of days that leadership was forced to leave the country and the areas and local believers that have been left behind are right now networking and growing and multiplying and reproducing in an organic expression of the body of Jesus Christ because he desires every nation here about the salvation of Jesus Christ. So when we're praying, here's what's happening with the believers right now. There are some that are remaining in their homes, and they're doing so because they said they are undetected in their Christianity. They are living covert lives, and they are able to function. One of those individuals told leadership that because of their occupation, they were still having access to moving around and helping people, just waiting for the moment when the Holy Spirit would tap them on the shoulder and say, now is the moment to speak up because we're going to move the kingdom forward, and they will be ready when that moment arrives. There's another group of people that are having to flee. People that decided not to put an X on their door have chosen rather to take their families and run into the mountains and live in the caves. They're hiding and their hearts are breaking because the weather is turning bad and the winters in Afghanistan can be very, very harsh and they're asking us to pray. There's a third group of believers and they said they will not leave. Those conversations are simultaneously inspiring and heartbreaking because we know that because of their resilient faith, these believers will be martyred. This is such a different context than anything that we have to deal with. It forces us to redefine what it means to be mature in Christ. So many of these believers are brand new to Christianity, and compared to the longevity that so many of us have, we can look at them as believers and say they seem to be just babies. But let me tell you something. I believe that the way the Spirit of the Lord is moving forces us to redefine what spiritual maturity looks like. On one hand, if maturity in Christ is defined by obedience in the face of astronomical odds, 
rather than longevity, then they are demonstrating a spiritual maturity that you and I have never had to do. And at a level that none of us have ever had to, to live it. And as individuals and as a church, we are determining what we are going to be willing to sacrifice to accompany them in mission. So what level of accompaniment will we as a church have in regards to missions in these last days of time? And the third word that sticks out within this passage is the ship. Paul and his colleagues had to get on a ship to travel. The elders of Ephesus could not go with them on that ship. Their ship was the local church. They had to take care of that. But they understood that the gospel had to be preached to all of the nations. But their ship lied elsewhere compared to the ship of others. And their relationship to missions was based on a relationship to send those to places that they were not called to go. And so the ship reflected the destination where those leaders, even though they could not go, they could send. When you walk into the foyer of Grace Assembly, you see on the wall a, a map of the world with little strings that go from Grace Assembly to the world. Right now, as we are speaking, the fingerprints of God are all over the world, and we get to participate in that because our ship is here. There are others that we have supported to go to other places. There may be some of you that God is placing a missions call upon your life who's he's wanting to raise up an anoint for something just like that. Our desire here is that we would not just be a giving church, but that we would be a going church. And so we are planning mission trips. We've been trying to plan them for two years, and this COVID thing's getting in the way. But we're replanning trips so that we can go to all the world, maybe in a short-term place, maybe our adults, our young people, our children. But we will not sit by and miss out on what God wants to accomplish we also will be a church that gives. We will sacrifice to do what we need to do so that when we stand before God, it will be with a heartbeat that says, I knew your heart, God. I knew that you wanted to see everybody come to Christ, not just my family and not just my church, but everybody in the world. And so we sent, we were part of the they, we accompanied, and we put you on a ship so that you could do what you needed to do. When you came in this morning, there was a pamphlet on your seat, and I'm going to ask that if you would take that, please. Here's the way we do missions in our church. Next week when you come in, there's going to be a faith promise card that you will be asked to fill out. What I'm asking you to do this week is take this pamphlet with you, and I want you to pray this week. I'm, I'm not going to manipulate you because I know that what God wants to do in your life he is way better at directing you. But folks, if we can worship the Lord with all of our heart in the ease of this place, then we need to make sure that other people can worship even when they have to do it in houses and in basements and in the country where nobody else can hear them. But we will accompany them to do that. My wife and I made some decisions a long time ago, and we refused to spend more on our own entertainment than we would on the lost of the world. So what I ask you to do is this, if you're spending more on Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, then you are spending on the mission of winning the lost, then I'm asking God to redirect your priorities. It's one thing to get up and try to determine whether or not we want to come to church on a Sunday or, hey, I just want to watch it online, it's easy, I'm in my pajamas and can take care of it. It's another thing to be a part of a movement that is reaching the lost around the world. 
so that when we stand before God, we will not be ashamed, nor will we be afraid, but we will have honored God because the lost around the world matter to Jesus just as much as you and I. 